Welcome to The Margins, a Christian space where we give you the motivation to destroy discrimination. We are your hosts, Martin and Natalie Watkins. Today, we're going to talk about a very relevant topic in 2020, white fear. So Natalie, can you as a white woman explain white fear? Okay, so I was kind of... um remembering my past here i remember um as a 20 something year old married woman a mother um a christian white woman telling me she was in her 60s um by the way she said white women will always be afraid of black men so why did she tell you that i don't know we're 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 sitting there we're in her home having a conversation i'm sure we were talking about some kind of race issue or something and somehow that that topic or conversation came up. I don't know why she would say that to me, though. I am married to a black man and I am a white woman. So why have the conversation with a person who um, has committed their life to a black man? Why would you say that? I, I don't know. It doesn't it didn't really make sense. Uh, all I could say is um, in her mind, probably she had seen a lot of terrible things in the past, the way that black people have been treated in society. And so um, she probably thought that whatever um, kind of relationship black and white people had today was as good as it was going to get. And that included the fact that white women were always going to be afraid of black men. So when we talk about white fear, we're talking about irrational fear that white people have of people of color. We see mm -hmm. it in the way that um, uh, you, you see these deaths. Like I think of the woman, I, I don't know her name, but I remember that she had a problem with her car and she went and knocked at the door of someone's house in the middle of the night. And the man literally shot and killed her because he thought that she was some kind of intruder. And all this woman needed was some help. And um, there was so much fear um, of this purse of this black woman by this white man that he literally killed her. And this situation of white fear, it, it has led to the death of so many people of color. Um, and not just black people. We're talking about Native Americans, Hispanic Americans. Um, it's a very relevant topic and something that we really have to dive into right now in 2020, um, as Christians especially. So from a Christian aspect, uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. And especially that last, uh, those last two words, a sound mind means self-control in the Greek. This idea that fear and love, uh, fear and power and love, those two things kind of work against each other. You don't have self-control. When, when you're living in a spirit of fear, you don't have mm -hmm. this self-control that you need to be able to actually look at something rationally mm -hmm. and be able to say, this is not what I think it is. If if you don't interact with people and you see stereotypes on TV and you see different things that make you build this image, as soon as you come into contact with uh, somebody that it fits the stereotype that you've never engaged before, a good majority of the time, the interaction is going to be negative because you just you don't know anything else. You've seen what you you've built up this idea and it can go on both sides. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so. No one ever calls me. Why are they calling me during a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so in a, so you think about a room. Let, let's, let's just think about a room. You move into a house. We just moved a couple months ago. And you, you, you got 
boxes that you come across and you say, just put this box in this particular room or in the garage or in the basement. You just want to put it somewhere because it's not something that you're worried about right now. So you just store it away. And I think a lot of times our, our, the, the understanding of race and race relations and interacting with people from different cultures and different things are things that we just pack away. Just like we would do boxes, things as we, as we move. And sometimes I've heard of people, uh, I don't think we, we do this, uh, but they actually move two or three times with boxes that they've never opened from the last move. Yeah, they, they, they literally leave it, you know, the box is taped and they say, just go put this in the closet or in the storage underneath the steps in the basement. Um, and we'll deal with it later, you know, and you have, you, maybe you have a label miscellaneous and then, you know, it's taped and you're like, oh, I don't even want to see what's inside that box, but it's not relevant to my life right now. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to unpack this box of white fear and kind of engage people that are different from us and understand where they're coming from so that we can eliminate some of this fear from just this. It's just a surface fear because we don't know. It's an unknown that we don't want to deal with. I remember um, someone once saying, um, you like what you know, but you don't know what you like. So um, if if we as people are not willing to um, step beyond our comfort zone, and I, and I will especially speak to white people because we are the majority culture in the United States. And so we live in our whiteness. We live in our white neighborhoods. We go to our white churches. We shop in our white grocery stores. We work with a bunch of white people. You know, our children go to school with mostly white people. Um, and so we are never um, challenged to step outside of our whiteness. And then when you do have an interaction with a person of color, a black person, a Native American, Hispanic American, an Asian American, it can be very awkward. We can say things that are inappropriate or things that are um, insensitive to their humanity. But since we don't know them at all and we, we've never interacted with the person, we've never gone beyond our comfort zone, um, we can react um, with fear and definitely with a lack of love. I have a good story to go with that. So I, I used to live in Utah. We lived in Utah, Natalie and I, uh, for about five or six years. And one of the jobs that I had in Utah was working as a salesman at a car dealership. And so as a salesman, you, you, you are strictly commissioned. Um, so you have a whole plan that you have to follow. You engage the customer in the lot. You get them set on the right car. You take them on a a uh, trip where they can see all the features of the car and you really get them to love the car so that when they come in, it's easier to sell them the car because they already have a connection to it. So you're always talking, you're always trying to build relationships and things like that. So with all that background, I go out to talk to a lady that's on our lot looking at vehicles. As soon as I start to engage her, I can tell that something is off. I can tell that she's not really wanting to communicate with me. Uh, she's not really wanting to engage in conversation. So she starts walking towards the building as I'm asking her questions. What type of car are you interested in? Different things like that. And she gets into the building and she asks for another uh, salesman. She, you know, she says something to the effect of she didn't feel like we were connecting. Like we like she I was understanding what, what I was what she was asking me. And it was a really hard uh, thing to understand because I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. But she just didn't feel this communication, this this connection with me. I remember you coming home and telling me this story. And it was so frustrating because this was 2010. It's a bad recession. 
You know, as Mart said, he's relying on commissions. We have a baby on the way. And here you are when you're just trying to sell a car and make a living. You have to deal with people who, um, because they're the customer, you know, the customer is always right. So um, none of your coworkers, your, no one on the management team said anything like, ma'am, um, you know, we want to stand up for our um, employees or we don't tolerate stuff like this. They just catered to her. And, um, you know, this this time where it was painful for you as a black man, no one, apolo- you know, nobody um, tried to apologize or stand up for you or anything. They just told you to deal with it and move on. Like this was supposed to be normal behavior for you. And you were supposed to um, just expect that this was going to happen, deal with it and move on. Yeah. And, you know. If that was the only instance, you know, maybe I could write it off. But I mean, there was there there are other times. I, I think of another time where there's this lady who I went to church with. I had known this lady for about a decade. Uh, her family and our family were they they would take me on trips. They would pick me up for school, different things like that. So we had a lot of interaction. We had built quite a um, friendship relationship. Yeah. yeah. So. They they off they asked me to go out with them to do a fun fundraiser that the school was doing and I went out with them once we had a good time then afterwards we went to her parents' house to eat dinner we had a good time everything seemed to go well well a little bit later maybe the next week I think uh, we went out again to the same place same fundraiser and we were going back to their house afterwards so we get to their house and in the driveway the lady explains to me that. The her parents, the people whose house we were going to, were questioned about what what I was doing at their house, and they felt so uncomfortable that they asked that I not come back to the house. So I had to sit in the van for over an hour. It may may have may have been two, waiting for them. And when they came out, I, I realized that they had eaten, they had had a good time, and I had to wait in the car. And it, the hard thing was is that nobody was willing. Nobody saw anything wrong with this, mm. whether it was her mother or her. Nobody said this is she. The mother didn't. The grandmother didn't say this is my house. I can have whoever I want in this house. But the mother didn't say this person is somebody that I've known for a while. He's a decent person, a good enough person that I let him be around my kids. They've been around my kids since they were young. If you guys aren't going to stand up for him, then we're not going to come to your house, at least not when he's with us. Like the mindset that, hey, we need to build a bridge. We need to make a connection so that he doesn't feel like it's okay for people to treat him like this. And that that was really hard for me to kind of understand how you can just write off a person because of the color of their skin. I remember you telling this story and, you know, we talked about this. So here you are. It's clear that the neighbors don't want you um, in their neighborhood because they're asking the neighbors why you're here but then they're gonna have you sit in this unfamiliar neighborhood um in a car in the dark you know that could have been a dangerous situation for you you're already unwelcome um what could have happened thankfully nothing did happen you know and the people afterwards they didn't have the decency to even um you know bring you some dinner you know to be hospitable um once again you know as a black youth you were supposed to ex um you're supposed to deal with this and just kind of move on. There was no humanity uh, with this situation.
Okay, Martin, I have another good one. How about this? If you surrender to missions, then God is going to send you to Africa. And then everyone in the church, ha, 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 That's so funny. Do you, do you ever remember people coming to the church and saying that when we were talking about missions growing up? Yeah, so as a missions major myself, um, I think I kind of even wrestled with that. But it was made clear to me at some point or another that God doesn't really send black people to Africa. So black people, can they have plenty of opportunities to minister here in America. So after a certain point in time, I guess I kind of didn't even think about it anymore. But I, I can remember having those fears myself because it was so ingrained that Africa was this dark place. Um, yeah, and we looked was, at it like a country, even though it was a continent. Of over 50 countries. I, I remember from the time I was a little girl, um, we were always hearing stories um, about cowboy boots and darkest Africa. I mean, Africa was this um, dark, mysterious, dangerous place to go. Um, and it did nothing for me as a white person to um, love black people. It was always instilled in us, as we were talking about, that we we're supposed to fear black people and we we're supposed to fear the place where black people came from, their ancestry uh, in, in Africa. Um, I, I think about 2 Timothy 1.6, where Paul is encouraging um, Timothy to stir up his gifts. And then we get to the next verse that you talked about. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I just wonder, Christians, how are we going to minister to people who are different to, than us, uh, people of color, if we are operating in fear? And if from the time we were little, um, we're already teaching our children to fear people of African descent by saying that, you know, surrendering to missions means God's going to call you to Africa, maybe. I mean, why joke like that? Why, why did white um, Christian pastors think that that was okay? Um, apparently, you know, the 10 people in the audience who are African-American, apparently... Or less. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it didn't matter, um, you know, making fun of the ancestry or uh, making their ancestry out to be um, fearful people. Um, it didn't really, it wasn't important to them. Um, I think about 1 John 4.18. It says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Remember that hypothetical room we were talking about with the boxes we have ignored? Let me encourage you to go to that room in your mind. Turn on the lights, pull up a chair, Open up the box with your irrational fears of others. Unpack it all and don't leave anything undone. Study what God's word has to show, has to say about being a respecter of persons. Pray for Christ's help as you deal with each area. On a practical level, educate yourself. Here are some resources I would recommend. The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And Unsettling Truths by Mark Charles. For centuries, the United States has catered to white fear. People of color have paid the ultimate price, their lives, because of this irrational thinking that we have. The onus to change must become a burden of white Christianity. It's time that we all step outside of our comfort zones and unpack our white fears.